Hello, and welcome to Final Show Films. I'm John, the executive producer here, and I've got a few pre-show notes for you. First, a reminder. All of the content we produce is available on our website at finalshowfilms.com, as well as youtube.com slash sensetaku, sensetaku.podbean.com, twitch.tv slash sensetaku, and on iTunes. We are only able to do the things we do thanks to the kind support of our Patreon donors. We give a special shout-out to our $25 tier supporters, Antitonic and Cat Waterflame. If you'd like to support us that way, be sure to check it out. Secondly, a thank you to the folks over at 411mania.com. They produce articles and content related to wrestling, MMA, movies, music, and gaming. Go check them out. We appreciate their support as well. And lastly, be sure to subscribe, comment, and rate, if possible, wherever you listen to or watch our content. It helps us know what you like, what you don't like, and helps us make more content. Feedback is always appreciated. With all that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hey everybody, and welcome to Legend Lore, the pilot episode for a lore discussion, lore and world and storytelling discussion podcast that we've decided to put together here at Final Show Films. Basically, the premise of this is going to be a couple of us sit around and talk bullshit about a bunch of stuff that we like, and you listen. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the that's the gist of it at least. Uh, the the idea is is that um there's lots of things that we have a lot of knowledge about uh and and uh, specifically in real, in the realm of lore. Uh lore in video games, books, writing movies, TV, uh gaming in general, etc. And, and old-timey radio shows. And old-timey radio shows. And uh so Jack Jeremy and I will eventually talk about the shadow, I guess. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, the idea, the idea being that some of some people might not know all of this lore and implications and things, so we're going to tell you about it and hope it's in an easily digestible format and potentially entertaining as well. Uh, today we're going to be talking about World of Warcraft, specifically uh, going to be giving a primer, kind of, and a discussion about the Battle for Azeroth uh, expansion that's coming out next year, centering mostly around the Battle for Azeroth cinematic trailer. And this discussion is going to be led by uh, William. Uh, before we get to that, though, we're going to introduce ourselves. I'm John. You can find me at John A. Bates on Twitter, and I'm also joined by Jack. Hey, I'm Jack. I'm at AltF4Gamers on Twitter. And William. Hi, I'm William, and you can find me at at shadow underscore chorus on Twitter. And take it away, William. All right, so the uh, the Battle for Azeroth cinematic trailer, as I unplug my headset... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the Battle for Azeroth cinematic trailer is a beautiful cinematic. Um, and I could talk for hours and hours upon every little detail and every little music sting, but I've been informed that that's not necessarily good for people listening. So, no. Uh, I have I have broken it down into four major chunks of the content of the cinematic. I got the entire run kind of broken down into four major segments with two little small capstones, one at the beginning and one at the end, because I feel like that kind of works because the entire flow of the cutscene is kind of broken down into four major arcs. Um, so first little small thing, uh, right before we get into the meat of the matter, that opening shot, that opening shot is kind of beautiful to me, but I want to get your, your opinions on it. So the opening scene for the battle of Azeroth for the battle for Azeroth 
uh, cinematic is sort of this overhead shot of the capital city, Lordaeron. It is only known as capital city. Um, and it's, it's, it is under siege by the Alliance. And you've got this big cloudy overhead shot of the city on the left as is under siege with the battlefield on the right. And it's this comparison of the city and all of its trees and the sort of barren battlefield with all of the soldiers on the right. Um, no, and this is really, really quick. If you want to watch the trailer, you can search for it on YouTube, uh, just YouTube battle, battle, battle for Azeroth uh, trailer. And also, uh, we, if you're unfamiliar with world of Warcraft, uh, as is the purpose of this podcast, inherently, there are going to be some spoilers ahead. So bear that in mind. If you're particularly sensitive about spoilers to content that you may or may never play. <laughs> Anyways, continue. Spoiler warning yeah. for content that has been out for almost two decades now. Go. But um, yeah, so this is this is our opening shot, and I want to think what 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 is you guys' opinion on this particular shot? Because from this a is- cinematic perspective, I love this shot as well. Um, the balance of the whole thing is gorgeous. Uh, with the the citadel of of the former city of Lordaeron centered focused and it's a very familiar angle i think it's especially if anybody viewing this is part of the sort of movie going public you've probably seen this sort of angle before frequently in an urban environment um because you can get a good perspective on you know it, it this this type of shot makes the towers tower um makes these large structures loom over whatever it is that's all the way in the background here closer to ground level um yeah i would say cinematically this isn't this is a gorgeous establishing shot yeah it's a it's it's a it's a classic urban establishing shot but the thing that i like about it in particular in reference to the source material is it's also a shot that's reminiscent of the classic god perspective of rts's that warcraft started as um and it like it's it's sort of a it Whenever you see that sort of this sort of a shot in this sort of a setting, it's 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 eminently a callback to um, to that concept and sort of sets up the 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 mood for the entire expansion. The the expansion battle for Azeroth is going to be basically sort of a return to roots of you know back to the conflict that started it all and we open up the trailer that takes us back to the conflict that started it all from the perspective of the conflict that started it all which is <laughs> it's sort of a it's it's sort of a layering of it's it's a layering of cinematic uh, of cinematic uh, uh motifs and and i just love that shit so I also want to say as well that I am 90% sure they've used this shot before, uh, back in Warcraft 3, the RTS, when Arthas is coming home to Lordaeron again for the first time, having just been out in Northrend, but I'm cycling back through it's, things. It's also a shot, not necessarily this exact shot, but it's also a shot that, they use, that they've used in the Warcraft movie. Um, yes. To, yes. To sort of to to pull uh, as sort of a callback again to uh, that RTS perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very very similar shots, both from from yeah the Arthas, the ending cinematic of the Warcraft Three Reign of Chaos campaign, um, the the human campaign. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me, this particular shot, not only all of the details that have been mentioned already, but this shot is very interesting because it sort of it sets up this fight immediately. You know who's on the defensive, who's on the offensive. Because the capital city is sort of the civilian location. It's a bunch of buildings and a bunch of trees. But then immediately to the right, you can see the the ground is kind of barren as siege engines and soldiers are here. 
And if you know who owns the capital city, you know it's the Forsaken, you know who's sieging. You know who you know which side is on the offensive, which side is on the defensive here. I will make a point of noting that um for anybody who's familiar with the World of Warcraft game, uh the, the capital looks a lot different uh in the cinematic than it does in the game. For one, there are living trees. Mm-hmm. Uh which is like not only not only in the immediate vicinity of the town, which is not something that actually exists in the game, but also in the town itself, there are living trees, which sort of indicates that in addition to, um, in, in addition to the siege that's going on, there have been events have happened prior to this siege that have drastically changed the shape of Lordaeron. Uh, in some manner that we don't know yet, um, and we're we're going in, in, in a few more frames in, in a little bit a little bit further on. We're going to see a few more signifiers of change within the city. Um, yeah. So, um, so let's get right into the meat of that. Now that I've sort of opened up with this opening shot. So the the next few moments is going to be the beginning of this siege. The well, not the beginning because it's been going for a while, but the the first moments that we see. Uh, so it starts off with a shot. We get a little bit of narration from Sylvanas, Queen of the Forsaken, as she makes her way up uh, a darkened staircase into the ramparts of Lordaeron's walls. And you get this nice, big, wide shot that looks down over the battlefield. Um, Part of her narration is a, actually a call-out to titles of some of the Warcraft novels as well, which I thought was a nice link. Yeah. Cycle it's, of Hatred? Yep. Yeah, Cycle of Hatred. It's... <laughs> Um, so we, we get that shot, and then Blizzard Entertainment presents logo, because of course, um, and then you get cut back to a shot of the Alliance on the field below, and sort of counterpoint to the shot of Sylvanas looking down on the battlefield, we get a close-up on Shalamane, which is the legendary sword of Varian Rin, as it's sort of being held in the foreground, and in the background we see Gen Greymane, the worgen leader of Gilneas, as he's kind of barking orders to soldiers all around. Um, and after a moment of shouting, he turns around and talks to the person who's holding the sword, who is a tall, armored man wearing a lion mask, so we can't see exactly his face. He calls him my king and says that we have, the Alliance, have Sylvanas cornered. And then you cut back to Sylvanas, who doesn't seem to agree with that, as she's telling her soldiers to keep firing and raining down arrows herself. And this is sort of the establishing shot of what this siege is, more than just the overhead. This is what's happening right now. So... On these opening moments, uh, what are your guys' thoughts? Well, um, just 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 a step a little bit further beyond that, the, the sort of the very next scene of the of the um, of the the thing, like just after Sylvanas starts firing, we cut back to the the alliance and see uh, classic armored footmen. Um, with slightly new additions, we see rather than having you know your standard footman with sword and shield, we see footmen with uh, spear and shield, uh, setting up a defensive line for some dwarven gunners, and then we see catapults, and and the, the the scene sort of cuts back and forth between the battle. One thing that I notice in particular is the use of angles um, in the in the in the shot. Uh, there, like whenever we're looking at. The, the the camera seems to be on a pivot point somewhere in the air between the Forsaken and the Alliance, uh, or between the Horde and the Alliance, where it's it's sort of lo- always looking at the Forsaken from below and up, and then always looking at the Alliance from above and down, um, which is a which is sort of a a, a classic cinematic um, camera thing that shows a differentiation differentiation in power, because um, yeah. there's not necessarily your, your in, offensive in angles and your defensive angles, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only, 
but this happens right after we swapped. So in the over the course of the battle, it has this look. But just before that, when when we were when we were introducing um when we were introducing Charlemagne and the Alliance leadership and um and uh Sylvanas, uh it was the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, which is sort of a it, it, another visual trick that they use to indicate that the balance of power is shifting, um, and that yeah. we're not we're not supposed to know quite yet who's winning this fight. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And as far as as far as the the lead in and the establishing you know elements go here, you know it's it's a fairly simple. Um, it's a fairly simple concept, you know, uh, attacking army, defensive forces, you know, fortifications, open field. Um, there's there's a lot of of tension and 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 opposing features in in these these shots as well, not just from the angle, but also from the content. Um, and the the but the aspects that I wanted to to pull out are specifically what happens when you put a masked individual in a setting when ev- literally everybody else is pretty much barefaced um everybody of note anyway um and of course you know that sets the audience up for what is implied to going to be an eventual reveal a very sort of chekhov's mask if you will um <laughs> <laughs> but even so there's still plenty of identifying features especially for those who are at least basically aware of the general lore going on of who this ind- this masked individual is you know they refer to him as king like you referenced um he's obviously layered out in the whole uh, lion of stormwind regalia and that sort of thing so you know coming out that this individual has a very clear allegiance and a very clear purpose even if you're not entirely sure of their I- exact identity at this stage in in the trailer. Uh and the other thing being that even for people who are completely unfamiliar with World of Warcraft and Azeroth and the lore surrounding these these properties, um it's very plain to even a complete novice that you've got two sides here, one on the offensive, one on the defensive. And they, I feel like Blizzard in their composition of this has done a great job of making enough nods. And they do this very well in a lot of their properties to veterans who are already very well steeped and familiar with the lore and newcomers who are just now interacting with these characters for the very first time. Even if you don't know who Gen Greymane or Sylvanas Windrunner are, their character design is unique and and in a sense blatant enough that even with just a few lines or them walking across a screen, you've got a pretty good idea who they are and what they're about. And I've always really appreciated that. Not only that, but from a from a storytelling perspective, you have it, this isn't just a battle. Even if you don't know what's going on, you have no idea the significance of Lordaeron, you have no idea what has just happened previously, you can tell that the leaders of these two factions are at the battle. Um, and even if you don't have a, if you, you don't have a, a, a strong grasp of historical uh, crusades or, or, or medieval warfare, you can pretty much, it's pretty much sort of a, a given that if the leaders of a faction are at a battle, it's an important battle. Uh, yeah. 
And, and I do want to touch on those leaders for just a couple of seconds as well, because so the the thing that I noticed, and this might be my horde bias coming in, but the the, the major thing that I noticed was uh, Sylvanas is calling the shots. She's giving orders to her men. She's telling them to keep firing. She is at the front of this fight. Whereas with the Alliance, Gen is the one barking orders. The king, the the leader of the Alliance, seems to be zoning out for a minute. He's kind of staring ahead kind of not noticing what's going on, maybe in contemplation, but he's being very silent here and letting his second give the orders, which is a little bit interesting. Uh, it also sort of separates the style of these two leaders, as one is more experienced and is kind of a veteran who is leading from the front, and the other is letting someone who seems to be older and more experienced handle the reins of the battlefield uh, coordination. Mm-hmm. Well, and also just looking at their outfits also gives you that Sylvanas's gear is sort of not 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 necessarily dirty, but it's tattered and well worn. She's obviously been wearing this for a long time. The very first shot you see, she's coming out of a crumbling ruin, wearing gear that has scars and that has sort of battle scars and marks on it. Her mascara is running. She's been, uh, she's obviously been doing this thing for a while. Then the immediate cut over, you see Charlemagne, which has some battle scars on it. Uh, but then, and again, again, who also looks rough and worn, but as it pans up to the King, his armor is pristine and clean and never been touched. So it gives you again, this sense of the experienced battle veteran versus the inexperienced commander. Um, mm-hmm. Which, you know, like, those are very subtle details that not everybody's going to pick up, but for those who pay attention, gives you a little bit more of a a read on what's going on here and, and what these two characters are about. All right. And so let's move on to the next segment of this battle, uh, which is we get, start to get really into the middle of this fight, and we start to see that the Horde is not doing well. Um, the next moment's are sort of showing off the siege itself rather than the people leading it. Uh, There's injured horde soldiers being dragged away. There's a tauren trying to haul an orc back towards the uh, back towards the barricades. There's alliance forces moving forward with siege towers and catapults firing at the walls. There are uh, like several different shots of bodies on the ground, of mostly horde bodies, as it definitely looks like they're being pushed back. And we get this big overhead shot of you know people being on, on like the this entire war moving towards Lordaeron, the capital city. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get a view of Sylvanas as she kind of stands on the ramparts watching one of these siege towers coming at her specifically as catapult shots are raining down and one of these big towers is approaching the wall where she's standing. Um, and so we get a couple of seconds of her staring there and this very dark look that she gives the entire battlefield. And then in this big acrobatic sequence, she leaps from the wall to the top of this siege tower and destroys it. She completely ruins it. Explosive arrow straight down through the top and runs her way down the side of the tower where we get all... And I want to point, at the moment, all this music is in building and building all this battle sounds. And as she reaches near the bottom of the tower, she leaps off and everything goes quiet for a second as she lets out the banshee scream, which is this loud reverberating shriek that quiets everything down for a couple of seconds. And she sort of transforms into this ghostly state as she takes out a couple of soldiers that are in her way and lands. And then 
there's this moment of quiet as she stands up for a second, and then she gives out the iconic Horde battle cry, For the Horde! And it's loud and impassioned and carries on, and this is sort of the turning point. This is where the battle starts to change. And so until this point, we've had everyone losing, and then Sylvanas goes on this offensive, and then here is where it stops, and you can feel the momentum shift. And this is about halfway in the fight. Your thoughts? We also get, at the very beginning of this little subsequence, um, you know, we've been talking about how the Alliance has been frequently been shot from the low angle, uh, you know, to give them that sort of imposing presence of the aggressor, the ones who are on the offensive. Um, then, but that shifts very strongly here, where you get an extreme low angle of Sylvanas right before she jumps onto the siege tower. But it's less of the towering, imposing, uh, you know, intimidating presence because she is a tiny little speck up at the top of this embattled uh, fortress that they're attempting to defend. And it's less of here is a looming threat and more of here is an individual about to make both literally and metaphorically a huge leap of faith. You know, it's it's sort of that Olympic high diver angle um, where you realize just how how big in comparison this conflict is to this single individual who is going to make the the choice to take a risk and see if they can turn the tide, which, you know, obviously pays off for her, um, both in her skill as a warrior and in the inspiring nature of her act on her uh, on her troops. Um, but I just, I love that juxtaposition of low angles on the Alliance make them look threatening, low angles on the Horde at this point make Sylvanas look just like an individual who is attempting to do the impossible, which she pulls off. And it's actually quite fun because the camera basically, again, previously the camera's been being shot from on high, uh, the camera basically is racing Sylvanas to the bottom of this tower. Um, and except for a few shots from above just to show the scale and again to do more of the uh, RTS callbacks, uh, the camera basically sits on the ground and stays there for the rest of this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, which brings us back to, and I, and I do want to counterpoint this isn't, this, this doesn't necessarily show the tides turning so much as this shows the battle is joined. Um, because previously it's been up to this point, it's been, uh, the the horde's been on the defensive mm-hmm. um and they've been you know sh- sort of struggling to defend and struggling to protect this place that they that not all of them are familiar with is we're seeing we're seeing more than just undead in fact we've only seen a couple of undead most of what we've seen are are, are orcs and tarin um the occasional troll here and, there. and, and or yeah orcs tarin and trolls um uh as sylvanas sort of rallies the horde at the bottom of this tower now we just sort of see the floodgates open and they go, you know what? We're probably going to lose this place, but we're going to actually be the horde now. Uh, and they go on the offensive, which mm-hmm. is what ends up sort of, again, we get, we get, we get the classic, the battle is joined scene as both armies start racing towards each other. Yeah. Um, and I, I would want to take a moment to talk about the development that this means for Sylvanas as a character. Um, because yeah. for those of you who are a little bit more familiar with the Warcraft setting, 
Sylvanas has a long and storied history about where she comes from and where she's gone. Um, but specifically about her time as the Banshee Queen, Sylvanas, uh, so, uh, she has in the past been very cold, very self-centered. She's largely been just concerned with herself and her end goals. And then in more recent years with the Forsaken as a whole, but mostly just herself, her people, all, all that matters is her continued survival and the survival eventually of her Forsaken. Um, but in this fight, we see a lot more than just the Forsaken. In fact, we see more of all of the other races of the Horde. They're all fighting together. And there's even that moment when she issues the battle cry. In the past, her battle cry has always been, For the Forsaken! But here, at this fi- at this moment, it's not. It's for the Horde. It's this sort of moment of her, she's the war chief. She's stepping into this role of, I need to lead all of these people. It's not just my people that I'm worried about. Everyone here is counting on me. Uh, which is a, definitely a long step up from where Shalvanus has been in previous expansions. Yeah, no, she's definitely widened her circle of influence, um, both voluntarily and <laughs> by uh, by necessity. Um, and seeing her make that shift, I think it's been handled fairly well, um, because whenever a canonized character makes a a significant shift, it's either sensible as part of character growth, or it's something the writers shoehorned in because they needed somebody to fit a certain uh, archetype, and this person happened to be closest or whatever. I feel like Blizzard has done a good job in allowing Sylvanas to evolve gradually over time so that this doesn't feel like a sudden and unanticipated turn on, on her behalf to where she's coming into a sort of more mature and inclusive sense of leadership, which is kind of a weird couple of adjectives to apply to the Horde, but, you know, um, they have their moments, and this is definitely one of them. Hmm? Uh, I do want to point out something... I'm biased towards the Alliance, sorry. (laughs) I I, I love the Alliance. Um, But there's also something I want to point out, uh, now that we've sort of of seen a couple of different shots of of both armies, and over the next couple of the course of the next, next sort of couple of shots we see a little bit more and there are a few races missing uh in the horde we see trolls orcs uh tauren undead um what we do not see goblins or blood elves um and on the uh on the Alliance side, we see humans, dwarves, night elves, and draenei, but we don't see gnomes. And, and we see I, one worgen. <laughs> and, and we see, and we see what we see one worgen. But again, being there implicitly means that there are more worgen there right, because he right. is the leader of the worgen. Um, which I'm curious what that that implies that there are reasons these other races aren't making a showing. Um, the gnomes. Have, sort of have an inbuilt reason in that they're they are typically societally pacifists. Um, they 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 assist with the alliance when needed, but typically they've they've tended to stay out of the infighting between the alliance and the horde. 
Well, not to mention uh, also, they also even when they small and hard to find on a camera. Yeah, and, and when they and when they do fight, they typically are support roles. They tend to you know build machines to help with the siege, which means yeah. the gnomes might have built most of these siege engines. The gnomes might have built the siege engines, which which may very well be where they're. Although the siege engines are are far more human and dwarf in design than gnomish, but mm-hmm. um, they may have still helped with that. Not enough Tesla the, coils and and mm. and the goblins. Obviously, the goblins are more mercantile oriented and wouldn't be wouldn't necessarily commit forces to a huge mass battle like this. The absence that I find interesting is blood elves, mm-hmm. because blood elves not only are blood elves a very warrior society, warrior and magic focused society. Their leaders are paladins. Um, they're they are clo- They are of of all the horde races that are currently in Lordaeron. Their home is the closest to Lordaeron, but they're not here defending it. Yeah, yeah which makes you she wonder. Was a banshee, she was a she was a high elf, literally one of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and so that kind of makes you wonder: like, are the blood elves fighting their own fight, or is there another reason, or are they somewhere else on this battlefield that they're not here? But talking about army composition as well, there's a point that I want to that I wanted to note. So there's an interesting contrast between the Alliance and the Horde for this, for, for just the, the composition of who you see on the battlefield. Um, so the Alliance, you see a couple Draenei and a couple Niles, but largely you see humans and dwarves. You see a lot of footmen, you see a lot of riflemen, you see a very uniform appearance being made by the Alliance. There's a lot of people with the very similar armor, very similar colors and look that are moving in sort of unison to give this sort of unified, well-trained, well-regimented army look. Um, the Horde, we see a lot of shots of a lot of very different looking people. Um, there's, there's a lot more individuals that stand out who you see re- regularly in, on the Horde side. Um, just sort of off the top of my head, I remember there's, there's a very large Tauran warrior who appears several times who's wearing sort of the spiked orc grunt pauldrons. There's Sarfang who doesn't really pretty say anything. That's, I'm pretty certain that's Bane. It might be Bane. I, I don't know. Um, but there's there's Sarfang, who's this sort of very, very imposing, very large, heavily armored orc who's always appearing. And then there's this there's this troll shaman who keeps showing up throughout the cinematic, who's like <laughs> throwing lightning everywhere and cra- breaking open the earth. And so we have no idea who the fuck he is. <laughs> <laughs> He's just there. But it's very interesting to see like this. The alliance is putting out a very uniform front, but you're definitely seeing a all stripes approach from the horde, mm-hmm. which I think is a very interesting contrast between the two, and it's definitely going back to that roots of the Alliance is this sort of noble, knight-like aristocracy, sort of very noble and very regimented, very knightly, whereas the Horde is, all of these rejects are getting together and trying to survive. Well, it also sort of, it also paints, because the Horde does have a uniform, they have very, they have uniform and regimented troops, um, but it, the, the fact that there's this sort of chaos here lends itself to they're on the back foot. This is not their. Tr- this is not their primary horde. Like they don't have. Like they have Bane and Sarfang and Sylvanas, if that is Bane, and that's it. They don't have their troll leaders. They don't have their blood elves. They don't have their. You know their goblins. They don't have anything. They don't have their like tradition. They don't have their Corcoran. Like right. the, cor- mm-hmm. the Corcoran have a the Corcoran, which is the honor guard of the war chief, who have a very specific outfit and look. Are there are none of them there? Um, they stand. They stand out in a crowd. None of them are there, which sort of indicates that this was a surprise attack mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, it sort of implies that 
you know, for one, it's the capital city of the of the Forsaken. They should not be defending this place. If the war's gotten here, it's a bad thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but now with with this cry, we move on to sort of the turning point or the joining of the battle, as, as John has put it. This sort of moment where the horde decides, okay, it's time to get in and fight. Um, we see Sarfang kind of grabs a fallen horde banner and picks it up and runs with it, kind of trailing behind him as he runs straight for the fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of the rest of the horde kind of runs with him. There's a bunch of shots of the horde taking the offensive. We see that troll shaman we talked about sort of raise his hands up and break the earth as it shatters and sends warriors flying. We troll see that ta- MVP. <laughs> we see that we see that Torin kind of bull rush into the battlefield using his horns to gore soldiers aside. And we see the the horde army. We see this big upper, this up down shot, this up, up, up overhead shot of the horde pushing out back into the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, this is the moment when our lion, where our mysterious lion mast alliance leader gives his first words. He shouts. He gives the order to push forward. Um, and he goes with his men as they rush forward. And he starts to get into the fight, but he's almost immediately knocked flat on his ass by Sarfang, who sends him flying back. Um, and. Hey, uh, Jack mentioned that uh, that uh, Chekhov's helmet. Um, sure enough, his helmet rolls away, and we get this shot of who would you guess it? Anduin Rin, the son of the lion Varian. Anduin uh, is the one in this mysterious suit of armor. As he looks up at the battlefield uh, from his position of being knocked flat on his back. Um, as he looks up, we see Gen is fighting off Sarfang and sort of pushing him away from his king. And he goes to help him up when that shaman off screen zaps him with lightning. And then we get a <laughs> troll warrior jumping over camera. Yeah, the, there's this troll Play warrior that is frog. Yeah, there's this troll warrior that just leaps onto the screen, just like flying over Gen as he's going out of the way, like going straight in towards Anduin. And Anduin just kind of screams and frantically just picks up the sword and wails on this troll shield, kind of beating him into now, the ground until he finally slams into him and there's this burst of light. Now, I want to talk about fight choreography for a moment. Because even in a digital, even in a digital realm, fight choreography is a form of storytelling and one that I'm mm-hmm. very familiar with. Um, what we get here as this, we, we get a very, you know, an attack from a troll that indicates a very competent and well-trained assailant who comes in shield first, you know, uh, sort of trying to get in close and block it. And then we have Anduin who just sort of wails on the shield in a manner that you would do if you didn't know how to use a sword. Right. He's, he's going full caveman on this guy. Like he's hitting him. uh, He's hitting him with the sword as if it were a club and just sort of trying to beat him down into the ground, and he succeeds, which is a testament to Anduin's strength, but also indicates that Anduin is not a warrior. Yeah, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't have the background experience, the tactics and the techniques that somebody like Gen is bringing to the field. And that's when we sort of, we sort of now, just visually, without saying anything, we get that sense of, oh... He doesn't belong on this battlefield. This isn't where he is comfortable. That's why Gen's been calling the shots. That's why he hasn't been talking much. That's probably why he's been wearing that mask, because it sort of hides the insecurity uh, that he might be feeling. Um, 
and, and for those and, 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 who have, yeah, who have if, if you know the Anduin's backstory, that's like, yep, that's no, that's who this guy is. Yeah, yeah, he's, because he's a priest. He's not a right. warrior. <laughs> he's a philosopher. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I do want, I do want to talk for a moment about that as well, because this has also been a sort of a character shift for Anduin. Not just like we talked earlier about Sylvanas, and I'll talk about Anduin. Um, so I talked about how Sylvanas had kind of stepped in to her role as the war chief, as this frontline leader of the Horde. Anduin has also stepped into his role as a king, kind of, but for Anduin, it's more of a step backwards, uh, in my opinion, because he's gone from, so those of you who know Anduin in the past, Anduin is a priest. He is this almost messianic figure. He is this person who would, at, at all points, argue for peace. Um, he, like, he pushed, he befriended several members of the Horde in the past. Uh, he was always trying to push for peace and to fight for peace above all else. Um, but here, he's sort of, just his presence on this battlefield sort of implies that he has finally broken down to this idea that the Alliance and Horde can't have peace. We we will fight, we have to fight. Um, and he's sort of taken this role of a king more than a war chief. Because he stands at the back of the battlefield and sort of orders and lets his generals handle the fight, whereas Sylvanas is at the front. Now, I will point out in just a few more in just a few more frames, uh, if we want to continue on, um, we get sort of a reaction shot from Anduin after he's pounded this troll into the dirt and stands up and collects himself. He sort of looks around and then and then looks contemplatively at at his father's sword in his hand, and I I feel like it. To counterpoint, I don't think he has gone backwards because as he looks around, we get a definite look of regret and sadness on his face. Like he he, he was sort of friends, friendsily beating away to save his life. But now that he's no longer in immediate danger, he's almost crying like as he looks around, at, as he looks around at the, the sort of the death and destruction around him. He doesn't want to be here. Yeah, mm-hmm. he very clearly doesn't want to be here and doesn't want to be fighting. Yeah, um, and, which again, and another reason for that mask. The sword is one of you know it's it's that that very familiar. I think most of us have have seen the trope any number of times. You know, where you look at the weapon in your hand as if what have I done? And he immediately just drops it. Now, he drops it in a very dramatic stick-the-blade-in-the-ground sort of way that doesn't, you know, it's not like he's recoiling from it in fear or disgust or anything. But there's a very, there's a, there's this, this fantastic decision moment where he's, he's just, he's, he's making up his mind of what type of person he's going to be in this moment. And, and he what, falls back on his priest training rather than on this sort of warrior-esque uh, archetype that he's been building throughout the, it, the, the trailer so far. And what it reads to me is this is his decision point of I'm not going to be my father. Because yeah. Charlemagne is his father's sword. Mm-hmm. And so he sort of when he when he has this moment of contemplation, he's staring directly at the soul of Charlemagne, which is this this glowing radiant light in the middle of the blade, which um uh, which is sort of like it, it, iconic of the weapon. Um, and he puts it down in a, I'm do- I, I, what am I doing? I shouldn't be using this mode sort of uh, action, um, which I think is actually less of a, 
I think I think the indication here is less that he has decided that there is no hope for peace, but that he has to do the best he can to to serve the light in this chaos, which he then immediately um, does. <laughs> I, I I'll I'll make a, a counter counterpoint for you there. Um, there is I, I the way I read that scene is more. Um, as he as he sort of looks at the blade and also the fact that he picks it up again later, um, sort of to me speaks that he is trying to follow his father, but realizes that he's not there yet because his father was a warrior. His father was this masterful battlefield commander. Um, but in his final days and months, his father also realized that peace was a worthy goal, was the most noble goal and something that you had to fight for. Varian sort of reached the height of his character right before the end, as most heroes do. Um, and so I think Anduin is trying to be his father and realizing I'm not good enough to do this yet. I can't be what my father is yet. And so he puts the sword down to do what he can do best before he picks it back up later to try again, which then uh, any response to that, and we'll move on to the next part, which is what happens later. Yeah, I, I, I feel, I, yes, he does pick the sword up again later, but he does it in such a way as to use it less as a weapon and more as an icon. Um, because he does it after, you know, he does it as part of this battle, big battle cry. Um, and he, he's, he's like, he, he stops being offensive with his magic, which I think is the, with, with, like, that's sort of the big, the big tell here for me is that I have to lead these people in my own way. And that's not by being a warrior because he drops the blade, uses his magic, which we'll get to in a second. He picks it back up again later, but he doesn't charge into battle with it. And Jack. Um, no, I, I think with, with what we begin to see of, of Anduin in, in this whole thing, um, and the the fact of the lore of Charlemagne as a sword as well, the idea of two halves becoming something that is g- potentially greater than the sum of its parts. I think that Anduin forms a an excellent character metaphor for this new phase in which we find ourselves, where he's he's trying to pursue this warrior future building on the foundation of his past training as a priest and the the idea that he is now prepared to use whatever tools he finds at his at within his reach in order to accomplish the goals that he set for himself and for the alliance that's how i'm kind of reading his his transition decision in this moment so we got we got three sort of different views on this one which is good um but so what happens next as we get to the closing moments of this fight um we have now we see that the alliance is having trouble because as anduin sort of stands here amid the dust he looks around and we see alliance soldiers dead and dying crawling on the ground injured as the horde has crushed with its offensive um, and you see horde warriors sort of advancing the battlefield. You see, <laughs> there's a shot of an, uh, a horde sol- of an alliance soldier kind of crawling on hands and knees as a troll just kind of walks forward with blade ready. And you don't see what happens, but we kind of get the implication that he's about to stab him. 
Um, and Anduin, as we mentioned, sort of looks at Charlemagne for a moment and looks around and looks at Charlemagne and sort of separates himself from the sword, which, yeah, he sort of puts it down, it embeds itself in the earth, sort of standing up in a dramatic fashion, and he raises that hand to the sky. He reaches out, as, and you can see in the shot as he's putting the sword down, there, there are like thunderclouds forming above his head. And he reaches his hand up, and a streak of light bolts down from the sky and uh, impacts with his hand, and he sort of recoils for a second, and this massive healing spell sort of radiates out from Anduin, and we see soldiers dead and dying get up, get back up, grab their weapons and stand, and there's this long shot of the soldiers forming rank and file again, shields and spears standing at the ready, and the sort of the last person to stand up in that shot is Gen, as he stands back up in the frame, uh, and then pan out to big wave of light as Anduin sort of basically revived and healed most of the army that was fighting with him. Uh, in his oh. own way. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it was all of it. <laughs> and so they, they all sort of stand up and form ranks, and Anduin sort of finishes his spell, and he picks up Charlemagne, and we get the shot of him and the soldier standing behind his shoulder, and he shouts for them to all stand as one, and he points the sword forward and gives the opposing battle cry for the alliance. And the army or the armies rush forward to meet each other, and this is sort of the climactic this is where it really gets started, and we get the we get the end see the the last still shot, which is the traditional the traditional uh, orcs versus humans, uh, which again is another callback to the first Warcraft. Um, this this traditional orcs versus humans shot, which is the humans coming in low with a spear and shield, and orc leaping high with a with an axe, which I actually believe was in the art was in the manual of the first Warcraft game. I don't know if it was the. I, I know something very similar was in like Warcraft well, 2's like this, manual. Was like there was a, there was an elf with a bow drawn pointing up at a troll leaping down with both axes. I think orcs and I think in in the first one there was another shot very similar because it was it was orcs on the left and humans on the right, orcs and humans. Um. But uh, but yeah, this sort of ties it all back together. It's, and again, the the last shot of the trailer outside of the title sequence calls back to the old games the same way the first shot did. Which is sort of tying this whole, this this theming of we're going back to where it all started again. Back together. Mm-hmm. And and for for people who who are invested in the the Warcraft lore, that's 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 a very cool moment to see that sort of we're bringing it back to to the base foundation of where we started this whole thing. Horde alliance, orcs, humans—you know, two sides to a conflict. Which do you choose? Kind of thing. And so, uh, for <clears throat> for a moment, uh, there is um, during the during the sequence of Anduin reviving his entire army, priest OP, by the way, um, <laughs> mass res. <laughs> um. Uh, uh, during the shot, we see there's this long sequence of soldier after soldier standing up, putting their spear in the ground, sort of forming ranks again. And the last person to stand up is Gen Greymane. Uh, and I feel like that's kind of important. Uh, because Gen, throughout this entire battle, has been sort of this... The fight here, if I, if I may, is not between Anduin and Sylvanas. It's between Gen and Sylvanas. Yeah, that's true. 
Because Gen is the one who, over the course of ever since he's been introduced, has been hunting the Banshee Queen. Uh, he, there have been moments where he's been sort of fighting for his people, but since Legion and more recent expansions, he's been like a bloodhound. He has been chasing Sylvanas to the ends of the earth. Um, and so I feel like that that's a very important shot to show that Anduin is doing the best he can. He, he's trying to save everyone, but this is a moment when war is happening. Gen is the focus on this, on this, uh, at this moment, because he's the one that wants this fight to keep going. Um, and so this brings us to our capstone, um, which is, yeah, that final moment we get Anduin gives his battle cry. We cut to Sylvanas who kind of knowingly face forward on that battle cry. This precious baby <laughs> um, the look on Anduin's face. It looks like he is about to start to cry. It genuinely looks like he's about to start crying. Like he's just sort of just holding it back as he as he musters himself and his armies to the one last like for the alliance. And you can, you yeah, can, no, cause, you can, because throughout this trailer, it is very evident that Anduin is a kid. Like, I mean, just character design, body language, posture, facial expressions, everything is screaming. I really just want to go home and read a book, you know, or something of that, that nature. You know, he's, he's, he is completely out of his depth. He is bitten off more than he thinks he can chew. And he is wildly underexperienced compared to pretty much everybody else around him, but is still thrust into a position of leadership. And, and it's, you and can see the emotional tension on the character's face yeah. throughout the entire thing. And then there's one more response. Um, after we see this moment of Anduin just sort of barely holding himself together, but doing so because he has to, it immediately cuts back to Sylvanas. And while the horde is sort of raging behind her, psyching themselves up, she just lowers her face into a knowing look. Oh yeah, yeah. There's, that, there's, smile, that smile is is. It's not even a smile. Lethal. It's just there's a little bit of a smile. There's there. a very slight smile, but it's not. It's to me that look is her understanding where Anduin is. Yeah, it definitely reaches this moment of I see you now. Right. Like it it's it's and and the fact that uh their the characters eyes are locked in the same in like in direction with one another. Like if you yeah. were to lay mm-hmm. these two scenes side by side, they would be looking each other in the eye. Yeah. Uh, which is a really good cinematography thing. Um and it's it's sort of where he was barely held together, she is perfectly calm. Mm-hmm. even in the midst of this chaos around her. And th- this may just be, I know Blizzard's writing style, but I feel like this is also a nod towards th- these two are capable of peace. Mm-hmm. No one else is. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it's sort of, if peace is to happen, these two need to make it happen because yeah. they're the only ones who can fight for it. And they're the only two, they're the only two that understand this isn't going to end well for anybody. And it's this sort of, there, there is this moment of Sylvanas sort of 
gives this this knowing look towards Anduin and then draws her bow because she knows, well, there's two armies about to clash. I can't not protect my people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we get the thing and, and, and uh, it goes to the, the, the final scene. But yeah, I just I just wanted to point that out because that's a, there's a <clears throat> the, 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 the cinematography team at Blizzard have gotten very good at conveying emotion with their CG. And oh, yeah. that's that's actually one of the very, very good emotional face acting in this thing. And I appreciate that because face acting is hard. And th- there's a there's, CG. There's there's a couple of things that happen with that glance as well. Not only do we get the sort of the understanding from Sylvanas to Anduin, we also get this comparison shot of Anduin, who is this sort of young, inexperienced, barely holding himself together to Sylvanas, who is the leader who has been through hell, who has been through everything that the world can throw at her, who has died more than once, who continuously fights for her survival. And she has this moment of serenity. Like, as Anduin is choking himself and trying not to just break down, Sylvanas has this moment where everything just kind of becomes clear. Where everything just kind of becomes this still moment of I get it now. I understand. I am serene because this is this this is how it's going to go and I fully understand it. Mm-hmm. And it's this this interesting playoff between the two of them because their armies are completely the opposite. Like yeah. the horde is getting very very loud, very rowdy, very ready to go because this is what they do. They live for the thrill of the fight and the challenge and this is this is how we this is how we live. We live even if we're even if we're at peace. Fighting is what we do, uh, and the alliance is very very regimented, very put together, very stoic, very organized and noble looking. And so they're all very sort of straight backed, shields ready, go into the fight like a true army. And their leaders are just in the opposite spectrum. Yeah, which wraps up the entire cinematic. So, final thoughts and what have we learned? As far well, as... Go ahead, John. <laughs> no, I was just... <laughs> we started at the same time. Um, I was going to say, it, 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 it's... A lot of this is just calling back to we're going back to war. Like, the, the past several expansions have been focused on defending Azeroth as a whole from external threats. And this is this is going back to like I know the, 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 the PR was the stakes have never been higher, which is bullshit. The stakes are back to what they were three games ago. Yeah, you had to um, step back and lower the stakes actually. Like like the stakes have the stakes have been here before is where we're at. Um but it 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 does a really good job of showcasing that that we've been here before. This uh-huh. is a, this is familiar ground. This is like there are some things that are new, but a lot of it's the same. We've seen this battle before. We've seen these shots before. We've seen these this 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 story before, just with different people. Um, we've seen what Anduin appears to be now turning into more of a paladin than a priest. We've seen a human paladin leading his armies against the against the the horde of the undead and orcs and things. We've 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 told these stories over and over again, and the people in them are tired. Like Anduin is tired, Sylvanas is tired, and. And they want an end, but they can't because the game can't end. 
Right. Um, mm-hmm. That's sort of what I get from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, this is very much a return to to your basics. Um, Because starting with Burning Crusade, which is the very first expansion to the game, the entire focus has always been on, oh shit, something's attacking Azeroth, more or less. Burning Crusade, Wrath of the Lich King, Cataclysm, mists a little less because it was kind of shunted off to the to the to Pandaria, but no, still, in, you know, in, it was, in mists we had an external, we had an existential external threat of Yin and Yang trying to kill Azeroth. Right, you know, <laughs> warlords. We've got the horde from another dimension. Legion is well, it's the fucking burning burning Legion. You know, it hasn't been just horde versus alliance since Vanilla WoW. Um, and so I don't even remember what the story of Vanilla WoW was. <laughs> there the wasn't one. It was, it was the world. It was welcome to the world of Warcraft. Right. It was welcome to the world of Warcraft pretty much. And I mean, that was back in like 2004, you know, basically. Yeah. About this time, 13 years ago. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's very, there's, there's a level of nostalgia here. Um, you know, which is kind of like, facing down world war ii and saying it feels nostalgic for world war one um which is a horrific thing to say but the the idea being that all of a sudden the lines it's a simpler conflict it's like okay we're not worried about extra dimensional demon liches from beyond the grave it's literally hey we're fighting with the neighbors again (laughs) <laughs> and and like, that oh by the way 14 years ago we left this fight off maybe we right maybe up. we should finish that you know um and but it, but i feel like they're they're going to now that they've had 14 years of of separation from it you know they're sort of finally coming back to it and there's a level of of kind of catharsis i think almost with that so i'll be very interested to see how that pans out mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I sort of, I love where this is going from a narrative perspective because it's sort troll of shaman MVP. <laughs> troll shaman is that that shaman did so much. <laughs> like, you don't see it all the time, but there's always like throughout the entire cinematic, there's just these shots in the background of that troll shaman just blasting everything. <laughs> Like he he's he's the one who breaks the earth under a bunch of soldiers. There's a shot of him blasting yeah. chain lightning at people, and presumably he's the guy who zaps Gen Greyman away from Anduin yeah. for the yeah, troll yeah. warrior to leap in. Too, too bad he wasn't resto spec, so all those horde troops didn't have to die. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, look at me, I'm helping. We're dying, you <laughs> asshole. Still helping. <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm very excited for where this story is going because it is sort of the odds the the story in Warcraft has been getting very bloated. It's been getting very hard to to really connect with it for for a while now because it's been sort of this escalating there's only so high you can raise the stakes. We're on a different planet now. We are does have a ceiling. Like we we literally have just gone to the homeworld of the demon army and fought to destroy it. Where do you go? You well, gotta step back. I like that the the you know conceptually the next end boss is us. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, like the because it's, it's Earth. Because it's because it's it's well no 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 not not no not not us the players us the characters oh, okay. in the game because we yeah. like like it's a war for Azeroth and we've spent the last five expansions getting swole. <laughs> and well, now it's the like crap out of the rest of the multiverse so now we have to have the hometown grudge match all right a level 110 warrior over here level 110 warrior over here buttheads and so it's definitely a sort of well now what and so it's just kind of back to basics it sort of takes a step back to hey guys remember the, what the name of this what the name of this uh, ip is world of warcraft you know, let's get back to the Warcraft. Yep. Uh, which is, I, I'm very excited for it, and I'm very much looking forward to it. But I think that's just about everything to cover today. Yeah. So uh, that's pretty. We just want to talk about <clears throat> today. We just want to talk about the uh, Battle for Azeroth uh, trailer again. You can go watch on YouTube. If this uh, sort of pilot is something that you like, let us know. Uh, let us know on Twitter. Um, let us know on email uh, via email uh, at fellowshipfilms at gmail dot com or at my personal email, john.a.bates at hotmail.com. Just let us know what you think. Um, or if you have suggestions of things you'd like uh, us to talk about in the yeah. future. Suggestions of things you'd like to talk about in the future. If, 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 this, if this sounds good to you guys, we will keep doing it. Um, potential future topics, Final Fantasy lore. Uh, I, can do my, I can do my defense of Final Fantasy XIII's characters uh, in podcast form. <laughs> Um, we can talk more about Warcraft lore. We can talk about uh, Dungeons and Dragons lore. That was the the original intent, and the name comes from Dungeons and Dragons. Talk, we can talk about characters like Elminster and, and things like that. So just let us know what you think if you like it and if you want more, and uh, we will see what, what we can do about that. So in the meantime, say goodbye, you two. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.